Hello, and welcome to the monthly Megabyte Barometer podcast. I'm Ian Spence, founder and chairman of Megabyte. The idea of this podcast is to give my take on some of the key recent trading, transaction and funding news, and to look forward to what that all might mean for the outlook. Megabyte subscribers can drill into the detail of all of this on our platform, which includes research and data on over 2,000 of the UK's leading TMT companies at megabyte.com. Over the next 20 minutes or so, I will cover three main areas, capital markets, corporate activity and valuations, and the trading outlook. Within the context of these three main elements, there's a few areas where I'd like to focus in particular. I look at resurgent M&A activity, and in particular, some, some interesting spin-out activity. The IPO markets on both sides of the Atlantic, and in particular, I ask the question if there's life in the UK IPO market. It's been a mixed bag in fintech over the last few weeks, and I'd like to look at the good and the bad and try and understand what that more means for the future. I'm going to return to a theme that we have touched on in all of these podcasts, and that's the idea of resilient trading. A bit of an update on that, again, on both sides of the Atlantic. And lastly, I just want to uh, touch on my latest uh, essay in the CEO Hub looking at the update of our uh, generational shift theory. So to start with markets, uh, the UK tech sector performed broadly in line with the overall UK market during July. Uh, The FTSE 250, which I think is a good reference point for the uh, UK broader UK economy, was up 1.5% in July and the Megabyte All Share Index of leading UK listed tech stocks was up 1.1%. So broadly in line with with the overall market, slightly slightly, um, slower growth. We actually saw slightly better performance from ICT services companies against software companies. Actually, that's probably not that surprising given that uh, overall um, the, the financial trading performance of ICT services companies quoted on the quoted sector has been somewhat more uh, resilient than in software. Not massively, but, but, but marginally, and I think that's been reflected in share price performances during July. In terms of valuations, the overall sector valuation, which we look at the uh, EV current year EV EBITDA multiple, was up from 15.6 times to 17.5 times during July. And software is up at over 20 times again now. So we're really seeing valuations uh, getting uh, back to um, COVID, pre-COVID levels. I think, as I've said in the last few months, I think one has to be slightly cautious about looking at current year um, EV EBITDA multiples for quoted stocks because there's still a lot of movement in broker estimates. Um, but overall, I think, uh, and I'll talk a bit in a minute about private uh, market valuations. Overall, I think that the, the the idea that valuations are back to pre-COVID levels is is one that we would uh, think is is fairly accurate. So it's a resilient performance in the UK stock market and and the UK tech sector. But nothing compared to the US again. Uh, the Nasdaq is just on fire and continues to massively outperform the UK market, whereas the UK market and the UK tech sector has regained most of the ground that it lost because of COVID. <clears throat> the Nasdaq is up something like 10% above its high point in February. So it's significant outperformance and it was up 7% again in, in July, up to 10,745. And that's really been driven by um, a stunning performance by the kind of leading tech stocks in the US. And I'll talk more about that a little bit later. So turning to deal stats and looking at some of the corporate activity, again, sticking initially with capital markets. Uh, those of you who look at the market and, and listen to our this podcast and read our research will know that in the tech sector, like in most sectors, um, um, stock market investors have been very supportive of the companies. 
during the COVID uh, problem, either to support them because they've been heavily impacted and they need their balance sheet being rebuilt or to provide capital potentially to take advantage of some of the opportunities that come along uh, as a result of COVID, such as M&A opportunities or new growth uh, opportunities. That trend feels like it sort of came to largely came to an end in July. I'm sure there'll be some more, but there was one, only one, albeit a big fundraising in July that we that we uh, that we recorded on our database. Two hundred five million raised by Network International in the payment space, and I'll come back to talk about that when I talk about fintech later on. <clears throat> that compared to five deals raising seventy six million in June, and a similar number in May. So. Uh, you know, we think I think we've been through that trend for now. I think it might re-emerge later in the year if it depending on what happens with the COVID situation over the next few months. But for now, we expect a quiet summer for, for secondary fundraisings on the London market. Uh, touching on IPO sentiment first in the US, uh, you know, last month I talked reasonably extensively about this. And, and there's been a unsurprisingly, given that there's been such a strong market, uh, a resurgence in IPO activity in the US, and that has continued in July, but it's not all been plain sailing. And I think one of the interesting ones, which just listed actually this week, so technically August, but in the last few weeks, was Rackspace in the hosting uh, and data center sector. That uh, business was taken private a few years ago and has now come back to the market and listed at the bottom end of its valuation range, and the shares also dropped. 22 over 20 percent on the first day of trading so pretty shocking uh, ipo from rackspace and interestingly and I, I recommend if you've got uh, time to and you're a subscriber to read philip cast my colleague's piece on looking at um, comparing and contrasting rackspace and the same week that uh, godaddy produced its results and really the divergence of performance of those two businesses really an interesting insight into you know, the, 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 the differences in trading within that peer group, which overall, as we know, has been very resilient. So it's generally strong in the IPO market in the US, but it's not all plain sailing. Um, and I took, I sort of took a bit about spin outs, which is interesting because that's sort of going to drive or is driving some of the IPO activity as well. And we've seen a number of very large, some very large companies uh, announcing spin outs or talking about spin outs or speculation of spin outs. Probably the most high profile in the US was SAP, Europe, US, <clears throat> was SAP. And they've said that they are they have uh, filed for IPO for one of their subsidiaries called Qualtrics, which was a $8 billion acquisition they did a couple of years ago. That is an experienced management software company of some scale. They are listing a minority of that, I think, on NASDAQ, one of the US uh, markets. Candidly, I don't really know why they're doing it, but they are doing it. It's quite interesting. I think that the background to a lot of these spin outs is that a number of businesses, big and small, have, have, have experienced, uh, you know, have really taken the last three months of, of upset to look at where they're really driving value and, and, are, and are resetting their businesses both organically and from a corporate perspective on where they really are adding value. And I think some of these spin outs are, spin outs are, are a result of that. So maybe that's what's really behind SAP Qualtrics. In the insurance software space, Duck Creek, which was previously owned by Accenture, and Accenture is still a big shareholder, uh, is looking at, at listing. Uh, on a less positive note, uh, Dell VMware, uh, those of you who have watched Dell will know that there's been a ra rather painful unwinding or, of uh, pretty aggressive acquisition activity in the over the last decade, second half of the last decade with Dell that's not ending well. And they own 81% of VMware and they're talking about spinning that out. Partly, I suspect, because actually, if you look at the maths on that, as highlighted in a piece by my colleague Neil Aaron Patter recently, uh, the the value of Dell excluding VMware is less than nil. So uh, that is kind of pretty shocking, really, and and a, and a sort of 
a, a key data point on the the success or and or failure or failure let's be honest of Dell's M&A strategy over the last five to ten years so not particularly positive there but interesting eBay at the other end of the spectrum uh, at the other end of the sector has actually spun out its classified business that that was as a result of um, pressure from uh, activist investors they part there was a partial spin out of their classifieds business to Norway's Avanta that was a 9.2 billion dollar deal so it's pretty chunky these deals none as chunky however as a possible further spin out of Ant Financial by Alibaba uh, that Ant Financial as many of you will know is a is an absolute uh, machine absolute um, juggernaut of a business in the Asian market and they are talking now about a 150 billion plus sterling IPO or dollars IPO on Shanghai and Hong Kong, which would be a, a, an amazing thing if it happens. Um, close to home, much smaller scale, but interesting. Capita continues to divest its software business uh, businesses. Uh, again, shades of Dell there, although on a much smaller scale. You know, Capita bought a number of software businesses over a long period, and that's just sort of unwinding now. Uh, to try and focus on the core and interestingly bt group getting in on the act in a small way uh, divesting its part of its french business to computer center one of the key questions i talked about when i was doing my introduction was you know are there some green shoots in the uk ipo market in the tech sector and i think we can say that there is interestingly that altron which um is a south african listed it conglomerate has said publicly that it is going to list its UK business Bytes Group, which is a reseller, a broad software reseller with a not insignificant security business as well. <clears throat> and that is going to be coming apparently to the market over the next few months. So that is a, a 500 plus million uh, revenue business. So quite a chunky one. It's interesting looking at that because um, many of you will remember Datatech or will not be aware of Datatech, which owns Logicalis amongst other things. That is a South African business that had a London listing for many years. For a lot of that time, it was a, it was a secondary listing and honestly didn't have a particularly happy time of it on the London market. I think, to be fair, there's a lot of difference between Datatech and, and Bytes. You know, Bytes is a UK business that is listing in, in the UK and is and it will be a separate entity to its parent, to its former parent, or what will be its former parent. Datatech was a conglomerate that was dual listed and only a small part of its business was in the uk it was a genuinely global business so i think that was part of the reason why maybe data tech struggled a bit but um, we'll see how bytes goes very interesting to see where the valuation comes out on that we're also aware of a couple of smaller software businesses looking seriously at ipo in london which would be interesting and and, and a really big question interestingly is, is dark trace chatter again this month about um, you know whether that business is going to list and if it is going to list whether it's going to list in London or in the US my heart tells me that uh, uh, that it w that it should list in in London my head tells me that really if it's doing the right thing it should list in the US um, so going with my heart I hope it lists in London it'd be a big one that one um, the, the financial metrics on that business are pretty impressive notwithstanding the slight um, taint I suspect on that business or I would say uh, with its connection with autonomy and, and, and all that has gone wrong there uh, because it was originally uh, in, uh, uh, an investment of um, Mike Lynch's investment vehicle but we, we will see I'm, I don't feel that's a particularly big deal now but it's a factor worth considering so that will be a very interesting data point and confidence point on the London market but overall we do see green shoots in the UK IPO market which is great news turning to the uh, turning to the private markets I think that uh, broadly speaking, we're seeing the same trends as we've seen the last couple of months. Uh, very solid performance in growth capital deals. We saw 16 deals on our database in July, raising a total of 460 million, up slightly on the previous month, helped by 
helped by a 245 million raise from TransferWise. Uh, still seeing much lower deal volumes in, in mid-market private equity, uh, not really surprising. But as I said last month, we are seeing a lot more activity under the covers, talking as I do to private equity institutions and advisors a lot. There is a lot going on and I do expect to see a, a resurgence in, a, in private equity activity as we go through the rest of the year. Maybe not August because it's quiet normally, but, but, but later in the year. And as if to underline that point, very interesting deal early in August just this week with ECI, uh, investing in CSL in the IoT space. That was a deal that was very much a COVID deal. It was kicked off and completed in COVID. And the valuation was largely what we were, we would have expected to be pre-COVID. So that, I think, is a really interesting data point on what we're going to see um, as we go through the year. We're not going to see the volume we saw last year in private equity because if you've got a business that isn't ready yet or has had some COVID impact, it'll probably wait till next year. But I do think we're going to see an improvement in deal flow as we go through the year. The real story, I guess, other than maybe the IPO story, which is interesting, is a really strong resurgence in, in M&A activity in the UK market over the last few weeks. When I did my podcast last month, I did talk about a gradual improvement. All right, what I expected to see was a gradual improvement in, in M&A activity through the year. What we've actually seen is a much stronger resurgence in M&A activity. We recorded 34 deals on our database during uh, during July. Uh, that was up from 15 in June, so more than double the number of deals in July and not that far off the 45 we recorded in July last year. So we are not far off the deal volumes, uh, the deal volumes we saw, we were seeing pre-COVID and July started very strongly as well with a number of deals announced this week. So feels like we're getting back to that, uh, getting back to pre-COVID levels, which is fantastic news. Uh, and, you know, just sort of summing up on the outlook for valuations and corporate activity, I think for valuations the same the same uh, factors are still in place as, as have been for some time. The proverbial wall of private equity money, interest rates at effectively nil, driving uh, enhanced um, uh, in, enhanced uh, uh, attention to growth assets and uh, and trading increasingly positive. If we see a significant downturn in trading, that is a thing that might curtail corporate activity in the tech sector in the short term. I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll have to see how the next six months plays out when the the furlough scheme ends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but um, so we think valuations and will be will be will be solid. Uh, no reason why we won't see a continuation in in strong growth, strong performance in growth capital deals. As I say, a, a, a resurgence, more probably fairly gradual in mid market private equity, and I think M and A will continue to to improve more rapidly than I originally thought. So that's pretty positive outlook. Turning lastly, just to talk about trading, the outlook. Before I dive into that, just to highlight uh, the new barometer reports that the the team, the research team at Megabyte put together. If you remember, we, we did some COVID specific COVID-related uh, work during uh, the second calendar quarter. We've now converted that into a go-forward position, uh, combining those reports plus the best from our peer group reports that we did previously into two new sector barometer reports that were published uh, in uh, in the middle of the end of July and in, importantly we did a new thing uh, two sector webinars uh, which were really uh, incredibly uh, successful I think well attended by a subscriber base and uh, really just pulling out the key themes from those barometer reports and enabling users to ask questions there were live webinars uh, if you weren't able to attend those I strongly recommend that you try and get those into your diary for the next quarter which will be our during our conference, which I'll come back to at the end. 
So that's a bit of context uh, in terms of the trading outlook, lots of detail, and the guys as part of those have produced a really, really useful and clever traffic light system which covers all 50 of our sub-peer groups looking at short and medium-term trading outlook as well as corporate activity and valuations outlook for each one of those. So um, I recommend you look at those if you've got the time. If you're a subscriber, of course, they're only available to subscribers. But with that as the background, looking at trading, I think the resilience theme, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, is is really uh, the key, again, is the key theme. But what's interesting is, as well as the businesses that we were expecting to be resilient, we're also seeing resilience from businesses that maybe we were concerned wouldn't be that resilient uh, or as resilient. What do I mean by that? Well, we've had trading uh, trading updates and and all management conversations with the likes of, of Gamma Telecom, um, Gamma Communications, Listed Company, Strong Trading Update, Solid from Virgin Media and Talk Talk, and the private company world, Actress, leading insurance software company, uh, Rob, our analyst in the fintech space, had a, a conversation with the management team there. You know, um, very solid trading there. On the quoted side in software, .digital, LTG, Sage. These are solid businesses that, frankly, we expected to be solid and are at least performing in line with that uh, that kind of view. But there are businesses that we had some more concern about that had, um, you know, less visibility in their business models. The likes of FDM and Kanos, which are more services focused, but both of those companies have talked to the market, both London listed uh, in the last few weeks, particularly Kanos, um, incredibly strong, but also FDM. Yes, not not where it would have been without COVID, but certainly trading, you know, very solid trading and, and, and certainly better than many would have thought, possibly including the management team of that business who were quite concerned, I think, about the outlook when I spoke to them uh, at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the COVID epidemic. Really solid. And so. You know, that's a, th- a key new data point, I think, that's emerging. Businesses we expected to be resilient are proving to be resilient. But even the biz- some of the businesses that we expected to be less resilient um, are proving to be much more resilient than we thought. I think that um, it's not been all plain sailing in the UK market. BT Group, uh, you, you know, t- to highlight one that, that I think was is, is certainly struggling more under COVID, quarterly results from that business. Uh, recently in the last few weeks and just much much more difficulty in the business I mean not catastrophic but just declines in revenue across most of the divisions and particularly notable was the outlook uh, that was that was very soggy and and expecting declines throughout the year even though we're coming well theoretically coming out of the COVID the worst of the COVID situation so it's by no means all plain sailing in trading but the but the situation the 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 um, the the news items and the results we see coming through are gradually improving and I expect that to continue. It won't be plain sailing. There will be ups and downs, but overall it's a positive picture. I said I'd touch on, the, on on trading and the outlook on the other side of the pond. I mean, really not to go into any detail of it because many, many column interests have been written about it, but the, the quarterly results from the big, uh, the big US tech companies have been quite remarkable over the last few weeks, particularly Amazon and Apple, but also Facebook, Google and others. Uh, the resilience of those businesses, and actually, particularly, I mean, Amazon is is the, is the main one. Uh, uh, you know, given its incredible strength, both in its core e-commerce business as well as Amazon Web Services. So I don't, in, I don't propose to dwell on those, but just to highlight just how incredible that the, the, the trading is in those businesses, and also just how much it's driving stock market outperformance relative to the UK. And just before I move on, just to highlight uh, when we're talking about Amazon Web Services, another piece of really, uh, really great uh, research from Philip Cass in our team this month on public cloud and, and a wrap up of the public cloud results um, over the last few weeks. So I recommend you have a look if you're uh, that if you're interested in that part of the market. 
Um, before I just talk about uh, the generational shift piece and wrap up, I promise to talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about uh, fintech. There's been a lot of interesting, uh, a lot of interesting announcements in fintech over the last few weeks. The theme really here that I wanted to highlight was that clearly fintech has been a pretty much a one-way street for the last few years in terms of positivity, and it's just not like that anymore. And and I think that's a trend that's going to develop. What do I mean by that? Well, we've seen lots of positive uh, announcements. You know, as I mentioned earlier, fundraisings from Transferwise, Network International, also recently from Revolut. Uh, some really interesting new, what I would describe as chapter two fintech businesses, the likes of Curve talking about a hundred million fundraiser businesses only a couple of years old. <clears throat> but we're seeing some negative signs, which is not surprising, uh, given what's happened in the economy. Monzo, interestingly, particularly jumped out of me this uh, this month, um, it, it issued its annual report and uh, has, has been hit quite hard by COVID. And the thing that really struck me from the annual report was the fact that the accounts had quite a heavy qualification from the auditors looking at the going concern, suggesting the business really is definitely going to need more funding to continue as a going concern. You know, we've got to bear in mind, this is a substantial uh, regulated entity with a significant uh, auditor qualification. That is significant in my view. I'm not suggesting for a moment that Monzo won't get that funding, but it, I think we're entering a phase with fintech that is going to see those businesses that are either of really, really um, uh, embedded themselves and got embedded themselves into the market and got to scale like the transfer wises the revolutes uh, up to this point plus the businesses that have got what i would describe as a chat to model like curve that will i'm sure have a long have an interesting runway ahead of them as they try and take advantage of things like open banking but some of the smaller businesses and we've seen already some failures in those uh, uh, those smaller businesses in fintech that have not made scale but also some of the ones that have been held up as the the models of, of chapter one might not have the uh, as good a rise uh, as good a ride like the starlings and the monzos that arguably have not got to that level of critical mass they might struggle a bit more over the next few years and and end up being acquired or whatever i don't know interesting to see but 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 there's that there's that definite shift feels like it's going on uh, in in the fintech market so just lastly, just to talk briefly about um, the latest instalment in my uh, in, in my series of generational shift essays that I'm doing on the CEO Hub. These are rebooting our uh, generational shift theory. For those of you who don't know what that is, this is our long-standing uh, theory of how enterprise technology is going to develop over the long, uh, over the short, medium, and long term. Primarily the medium and long term, and obviously we're doing a. It, you know, it's the right time to do a significant rethink of that strategy based on what's happening in the market. And I've been doing ser a series of essays in the CEO hub on, uh, on that. I did one last week on looking at how the the rev digital revolution that we see happening over the next decade will play out and, and trying to identify the key characteristics of how to help people, us and you, hopefully, to understand how uh, different industries will be impacted differently by that digital uh, revolution. So have a look at that if you get a chance. It's available to all, uh, all all readers, not just subscribers. And I will be doing a series of those over the next few weeks, culminating, as I mentioned, in a, a complete presentation of our revised theory on the 13th of October as the opener for our e-conference, the CEO Summit, that will have six seminars across two weeks, looking at all different aspects of that. So that's open to not just subscribers, uh, to anyone in our universe that qualifies in terms of being a, a senior director of a company we follow or an investor and advisor in the sector, which I suspect if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. So please feel free to go ahead and register for our conference at megabyte.com and I will tell you more then. And you can read that article on the CEO Hub and subsequent ones that will be out over the next few weeks. So that's it from me for another month. Um, thank you very much for listening. I will be back again on the uh, on the first Friday of September. If you're going away, 
Have a great time and stay safe.